Welcome to the We Don't Want to Grow Up podcast. That's my husband, Pete. And this is my wife, Stacy. <laughs> this is us. So it's been a while since we've talked about cereal. Yeah. So I thought we could go back to that this week. And I'm going to talk about some cereal that came out in 85. Okay. But it wasn't on the shelves very long. It's the <laughs> Nerds cereal. You, uh, yeah, I've, we, I've never heard of this cereal before. You hadn't heard of it? No. Well... I think we all know the candy because it's still on the shelves today where it's, you know, the little box and it's split in half and you have one flavor on one side and one flavor on the other. Right. We talked about that a little bit in our uh, Halloween episode, but there was a cereal that they came out with and they had the option of orange and cherry or strawberry and grape. And it was described as a tiny, tangy, crunchy, sweetened cereal. Mm. (laughs) I wonder if it was like the size of like grape nuts. If it was that small or if it was like Rice Krispies sized. It looked pretty small. I have a picture of it. I can, do you want me to show you now? Oh, you keep talking. Okay. So it would come with small boxes of nerds. of the Like actual nerds? The candy. Okay. Inside, like that was the treat that you would get. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're kind of Rice Krispies sized okay. from the looks of it. That's what I thought. So, and then each box would come with a send away offer for a two-sided nerd bowl. Okay. Okay. And what they would call a nerd gate. (laughs) So the nerd gate would lift and it would like put milk on one side. It's basically to keep, you know, you split the two flavors and it's to keep the one side from getting soggy. I guess if you didn't want them to mix, you didn't want to eat the two flavors together. Yeah. So you would put your milk in the one side and eat that and then lift the nerd gate so that the milk could then flow into the other side. So I guess so the other side wouldn't get soggy while it was waiting to be eaten. Could you pour two separate sides of it? Like, was it separated in the middle? It was separated, yes. Oh, okay. Like a real giant nerd box. (laughs) (laughs) What? So I didn't know that that existed. I didn't remember the bowl, but a friend of mine that I graduated high school with, actually, he's listened to the podcast and he saw that and, you know, thought of us because of all the nostalgia and he sent it to me and he's like been trying to find it everywhere to buy it, but he can't find it. Oh my goodness. I think the reason that it wasn't on the shelves for very long is because (laughs) reportedly it would turn your poop orange. (laughs) So I guess they figured that it wasn't too healthy. (laughs) So it went away. That is amazing. We need to find a box of this and we need to eat it. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, for me, like cereal never goes bad, but that's even pushing the limits of my (laughs) cereal cereal shelf life from 1985. It's a a bit of a... Bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch. For me, this is one that is in my head as a child. I feel like we would go crazy at the thought of this cereal. It's called King Vitamin. I think it's still on the shelves today, but I have no idea what it tastes like. Is it on the shelves everywhere? Because I don't remember it. Was it like a northern thing, maybe? I don't know. Do they do that to cereals? Just, you know, you can only get some in certain regions? Maybe. And I thought it was King Vitamin, like uh-huh. spelled normally, but apparently it's King Vitamin because oh. they weren't allowed to say King Vitamin because it wasn't actually a vitamin. Oh, I see. But I just remember the box, had, it had the king on the front of it. It kind of looked like the Burger King. <laughs> but hmm. you, I feel like we would get really excited the few times that we had that cereal, but it was probably no good. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did the cereal itself look like? It kind of looked like Captain Crunch. Okay. Kind of. It was the same color as Captain Crunch. Right. But I I think maybe it was like little king heads or something. That's a total guess. I don't really know. I hope it was. (laughs) It'd be a whole lot cooler if it was. It'd be a whole lot cooler. (laughs) Okay. So we have chosen two big hitters today. Two big ones. Two John Hughes movies. Yes. Two John Hughes movies. It's Ferris Bueller's Day Off and The Breakfast Club. Yes. What are we starting out with? I think I'll let you take Ferris Bueller. Okay. All right. So Ferris Bueller's Day Off came out in 1986. Written, co-produced, and directed by John Hughes. Co-produced by Tom Jacobson. And this is a movie that John Hughes reportedly wrote in a week. So crazy to think about. I've seen it was over a weekend. And then I see other things that say it was over a week. Well, I wonder if you're thinking about, because we did 16 Candles. Yeah. And I think that one was a weekend. Was it? Okay. 
So maybe that's what you're thinking of. Either way, I mean, John Hughes just cranked out some classics. He got an idea and he just ran with it. He did. So this one, I mean, I I think a lot of people have seen this movie. But uh, for those who haven't or those who need a refresher, it's about Ferris Bueller, a teenager who wants to fake sick and not go to school for the day uh, and just have a fun day out in Chicago with his girlfriend, Sloan, and his best friend, Cameron. Now, John Hughes has said this was his love letter to Chicago. So you get to see a lot of the major landmarks like the Sears Tower, Wrigley Field, Art Institute of Chicago. Yeah, that's the one with the lions. The lions, yes. Which you've shown me now and now I believe you. (laughs) The lions exist. (laughs) They do exist. They do exist. I still can't remember if that reflective bean is in this movie or not. I know it's in Chicago now, but I don't know if it was in the movie. I I can't remember. I don't recall seeing it when we just rewatched it, but it could just be that that's such a normal thing to see in Chicago that it didn't stand out to me. Yeah. And I I don't know if there was another recent movie that we watched that it was in. I feel like it was like Spider-Man, but I don't think it was Spider-Man. Well, we've watched a lot of John Hughes movies lately that are all in Chicago. Yeah, that's a good point. So Yeah. So this one starred Matthew Broderick, of course, as Ferris Bueller, Mm -hmm. Alan Ruck as Cameron Fry, Mia Sarah as Sloane Peterson, Jennifer Grey as Jeannie Bueller. Jeffrey Jones as Vice Principal Edward R. Rooney. I always thought he was the actual principal. I thought so too. But sometimes the vice principal is the one that's like the disciplinarian. So that could make that that can make sense. He does all the work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got Lyman Ward as Tom Bueller, Cindy Pickett as Katie Bueller, the parents. You got Edie McClurg as Grace, who's the secretary, secretary yeah. for Rooney. Ben Stein as Bueller. the economics teacher, yes, Bueller. Bueller, and Charlie Sheen, who I'd forgotten that Charlie Sheen was in this movie yeah. until the very end. As He doesn't even have a name. Right, though. the guy in the police station. <laughs> but he's, a, you know, he has like a good little scene with Jennifer Grey. Yeah, it's a, it is a good little scene. So Hughes said he had Matthew Broderick in mind when he wrote it because he was clever and charming enough to pull off the role. Mm-hmm. Alan Ruck said later that Anthony Michael Hall, who, of course, had worked with Hughes a lot by then, right. was originally offered the part, which makes sense. Yeah. Other actors who were considered were Jim Carrey, John Cusack. Uh-huh. That, that would be a good fit. Tom Cruise. I don't know. And then Michael J. Fox, which at the time probably would have been a really good fit, right. too. I think I think they could have all pulled it off. I'm wondering now, because John Cusack, you know, had a small role in 16 Candles, Mm -hmm. and we hear about him again for people auditioning in The Breakfast Club, yeah, or for The Breakfast Club. So now I'm trying to remember if there were any other John Hughes movies that Cusack was in, because he didn't do Say Anything, I don't think. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever watched Say Anything. I looked it up and it was Cameron Crowe. I should have known that. Well, listen. Win some, lose some. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like John Cusack was on Hughes' radar. Yeah. But I don't know that he ever quite made it into one of his films, which is interesting. Because It is interesting. Also of note here, Molly Ringwald wanted to play Sloan, but Hughes said the role wasn't uh, big enough for her, which yeah, is funny. Yeah, that was funny. I mean, she doesn't have a huge part in the movie. You know, she's, she's yeah, but there. but she's there for a lot of it. She is, yeah. Along those same lines, Emilio Estevez was offered the role of Cameron, but he turned it down. That, that would That's have been funny. A That's interesting two people fit. turning down roles yeah. that were huge movies. Yeah, like super huge movies. I wonder why he turned it down. I don't know that I've ever read why he turned that down. But Maybe he just didn't like that character. It know? could be. Or he could have just had something else going on. And Alan Ruck said every time he sees Emilio, he wants to kiss him. <laughs> he had auditioned for the role of Bender in The Breakfast Club. And Hughes remembered him, of course, from that. But yeah. that was a good role for Alan Ruck, for sure. Yeah, it was great. And what's funny is Mia Sarah, who, of course, played Sloan, she's the only one in there that was actually a teenager. I know. Everybody else was quite a bit older. Or Alan Ruck, in particular, was 29. Yes. <laughs> and I think... Matthew and Jennifer Jennifer were like 22 when they filmed. Yeah. Jennifer's two years older than Matthew. So it was probably like 22 and 24 or something like that. Yeah. What I thought was funny. I read that uh, when Sloan auditioned, Hughes didn't know how old she was. 
Oh, really? Because he actually wanted someone in their 20s because he felt like an 18-year-old wouldn't be able to pull off the, sophistic- the sophistication <laughs> of Sloan, you okay. know? Yeah. Or however he wanted Sloan to come across. Right. And so he was shocked when he found out how old she really was. Yeah, she did a good job. She did. Hmm? Has she really been in anything since then? I don't know if... I'm sure she has. I feel like you looked her up. Yeah, and she'd been in quite a few things back then. I don't know if... Let's see. I mean, it looks like she continued to act quite regularly. Yeah, just not really anything that I would have seen her in. Nothing huge. And then she looks like she stopped in 2012, 2013, Hmm. something like that. So She was good. She was, yeah. So Ruck and Broderick already had a friendship because they previously acted together in a Broadway production of Biloxi Blues, where like Broderick still is doing. Oh, yeah, that's his. Yeah, that's his he's thing. a Broadway guy. Mm-hmm. But I think that comes across, you know, that they're such good friends. And I read that Alan was saying how nice it was that that was just natural for them and they yeah. didn't have to come in and try to fake this friendship. It, f- it did feel like they had a friendship already, like mm-hmm. they had really good chemistry on yeah. screen together. And of course, that all starts with, well, on screen, it starts with a phone call, but then the big... I love that phone call. <laughs> yeah, the, the phone call is good. And it's Ferris trying to get Cameron out and about. Yes. So Ferris goes over to his house and starts working on him to get the car out. Right. And Cameron's house is a house that I've always loved. Yeah, super modern. Yeah, super modern with floor to ceiling windows, I think a single story. We see that he's loaded right away. Loaded, yeah. <laughs> and they go in there and they've got this, what's supposed to be, or actually on screen, and maybe, I can't remember, they, they had supposed to be a 1961 Ferrari 250 GT California. Uh, and then we find out, uh, doing some reading, that they're actually using kit cars for a lot of yeah. the shots. Uh, it was just too expensive to yeah, even they, have on set. Right, to even have it on set, it was really, really expensive because of the insurance that had to be taken out. And it was car. really rare, right? There were only maybe 100 of them or something. So Back that's, then. Yeah, yeah, so that's why they, they couldn't risk. Couldn't risk it. Except for a few it. shots. They did have yes. the actual car in static shots where the car wasn't moving. Uh, and then the rest of them were filmed with these like three kit cars that they bought and had built for them. John Hughes saw it in a magazine was like, oh, that's what we need right there. Uh, so they they went and had a few of them built for him. Definitely the scene where the car takes off and the Star yes. Wars <laughs> the theme Star song Wars is theme. playing. Yeah. That's definitely a replica. That is a replica. <laughs> What's funny is the creators of that kit car actually had to shut their business down because Ferrari sued them. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, because they, they actually were putting the Ferrari badge on the car. Okay, which yeah. Which is, you know, a no-no. But... They had one of the cars and restored it to full movie quality and actually put like a different engine in it and stuff like that. But it sold at an auction for like $235,000 or something like that. Wow. It's crazy. So some fun facts, the parade that they're in, Mm -hmm. you know, downtown Chicago, it's this huge parade. Ferris jumps up on the float and performs Don Shane and what is it? Twist and Shout. Yeah, that's like the big, it's not the final scene, but it's like the... It's like a culmination, it feels like, of the their climax. day out. Yeah. yeah. That was actually filmed over two different Saturdays. One of those Saturdays was during an actual parade to where they could get the long shots. And the other one, a radio station announced that if people wanted to be in a John Hughes film, they could show up. Right. And 10,000 10, people or so <laughs> did. They also uh, hired professional dancers and had those dispersed throughout the crowd. A lot of it was just like real people dancing and having a good time. Yeah, I think they said they show this one guy that's up on a... Um, yeah, he's up on a scaffold. Right? Yes, and he's dancing. And they said that they're pretty sure they were... I mean, of course, when they did these interviews that we were watching, John Hughes was no longer with us. But yeah. the, I think it was maybe Matthew was saying he thought that that was just totally like a normal person. Yeah. Which is fun. Now, Paul McCartney, I guess, had, you know, of course, licensed... Or the Beatles had licensed Twist and Shout Out. And Paul McCartney said he liked the movie, but he didn't like what they did with Twist and Shout because they added in the brass section. Yeah, because it's the band and the parade. Yeah, there's like a brass band in the parade, of course. Yeah. And so, I mean, it makes I mean, sense. I get that he didn't like the way it sounded, but yeah. at the same time, it come makes on, sense. Paul. Yeah, it's a, it's a movie. Come on, Paul. Come on, Paul. <laughs> it's so lush. It's lush. <laughs> So the, the whole scene there, it was choreographed by Kenny Ortega, who also did Dirty Dancing. Yeah. But Matthew Broderick ended up not being able to do most of the choreography because he had knee problems. He was actually really worried about giving it a shot because there were some knee slides and some spins. That imagine were in though, there. it's already an amazing scene, but yeah. imagine Ferris like doing a knee slide. 
while yeah. he's performing. That, that would have been, been insane. Yeah. Because it's kind of like Patrick Swayze doing his knee slide and dirty dancing. That's a good call. You know, he was like, we felt bad because Kenny Ortega worked so hard and yeah. they all worked hard, like in the studio, rehearsing the choreography and everything. And then he just at the end of the day, he couldn't do it. Well, didn't he? He hurt himself in Jumping. that scene towards the end where he's he runs through the house and he jumps off of the the deck the porch yeah yeah the deck of just like neighbors of his yeah, and he said he jammed his knee when he landed yeah and that was actually before. shot before right before that scene was so a lot of what ferris does in the dancing piece is just improvised yeah i think that they tried to do some of the choreography and then hughes was like just wing it <laughs> yeah like this time do that again but this time don't do any choreography yeah and that's what they ended up going with right John Hughes was a big White Sox fan. Yeah. So he wanted to have Comiskey Park instead of Wrigley, but it didn't work out. I think that's so funny. So he got stuck in the Cubs. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's like a diehard Chicagoan. And is that how you would say that? Chicagoan? That works, yeah. And he's a White Sox fan and he had to use Wrigley. It's so funny. Stuck in Wrigley. Another thing we found out about the film was there was supposed to be two younger siblings for Ferris and Jeannie. But they got cut from the film. Yeah, that thing we watched, they pointed out that you could see like the kids' artwork on the fridge. Yeah, on the fridge. And then there were some family pictures that I'm sure if you like paused and really looked, you it was could hard see to catch. that there were kids in their family pictures. Yeah. Poor kids. Got cut. I wonder who they were. I know. If you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> so a soundtrack for the film did not initially get released. In fact, it didn't get released until 2016. That blew my mind. Yeah, that's crazy because soundtracks were the thing back then. Right. And there are great songs on that soundtrack. So the 2016 soundtrack was minus a few songs that they couldn't get the rights to. Hughes didn't want to do a soundtrack back in the day because he just didn't think people would want to listen to all those songs together on one album. That's surprising because it's actually a pretty good soundtrack. Yeah, like I get that they are different types of artists, but I mean... Lots of times, soundtracks are full of different types of artists. Right. Yeah, that's what's fun about a soundtrack. Exactly. That's crazy to me. At least they have one now. (laughs) Yeah. The actors who played Ferris's parents ended up getting married and having kids after this movie. I know. That was surprising, too. It was to me. They got divorced in the 90s, but they were together for a little while. So Matthew and Jennifer actually started dating during filming. This blew my mind up. Yeah, because... I have a vague recollection of this after we'd gone back and studied this a bit. Yeah. So they were on a vacation in Ireland. They were out for a drive. Matthew was driving. It was raining. And he was apparently on the wrong side of the road, which, you know, I guess can happen. sucks because you're not used to driving on the other side of the road as an American. Yeah. So he's on the wrong side of the road, got in a wreck with an elderly lady and her daughter. I guess both of them died. Yeah. And of course, he was at fault, but he ended up just getting like a $175 fine and headed back to the States, which I I do have a vague recollection of that being like a news story back in the day. But I'd completely forgotten about it. And five days after the accident, Dirty Dancing came out. Oh, wow. Okay. It premiered and Jennifer, I guess, really struggled with survivor's guilt. Sure, yeah. On top of becoming like an overnight superstar. She was America's sweetheart. And it just really weighed on her. Like, she just couldn't deal. Yeah. Because that's tough. I mean, that's... I can't even imagine. can only imagine as well. And I think it did hurt Matthew's career for a little while. Yeah. They, of course, broke up. Yeah, when they broke it? up in 88 or something yeah. like that. So I guess they were, they were together for like two years. Yeah. And then she kind of left showbiz for a bit and changed the way that she looked. I know. And I wonder, though, because I used to always think that it was that it was because maybe she didn't like her nose or something. Yeah. Because she does look totally different. She does look a lot different. But now I'm wondering if it was like a way of wanting to just hide. Could be. There's no telling. That's that's crazy. I mean, that's a, that goes deep. It does go deep. That was something that I'd completely forgotten about until we watched this and did some some studying. But that's that's big. Yeah. All right. Enough of the downer stuff. <laughs> yeah. What are your favorite moments of the movie? <laughs> okay, this is throughout the whole movie, but yeah. I love that Ferris breaks the fourth wall. Yeah, that's the whole fun. time. Right. I think I, I, you know, it's it's why I love like Fleabag and things like that. You know. What else used to do that? House of Cards. Yeah. Just all this. It, it, I, it's, I like the show. Okay. Yes. Um, but where you're like, 
brought into it. You feel like you're a part of it. Yeah, you're like in it. You're being let in on the secrets behind, you know, and so... I loved that he would kind of just explain what he was going to do and why he was going to do it and how he was going to do it. And then you watch it unfold. Yeah. And I get now why, like when we were doing Home Alone, they said that Home Alone was like the kid version of Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Because when you think about just how he talks about how he's going to, you know, fake sick and all the ways that he's going to just in his bedroom, you know, trick his family into believing that he's sick. Right. It's very Kevin tricking Marvin Harry. By making it look like he's having a big party at his house. Right. You know, it's very much along those lines. Uh, the museum scene, mm-hmm. or as you would say, the museum scene. Museum scene. Say it properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, I just love the whole vibe of that scene. I love the music. It's a cover of the Smiths. Please, please, please let me get what I want. Okay. I also love the she and him cover of that. Just the different shots of them looking at all the artwork, walking in line, holding hands with the kids. Ferris and Sloan's kiss, and then Cameron having like this big moment while he's staring at one of the pieces, relating it to his own life. Yeah, because it's such a different tone in the movie that yeah. like that that museum scene is so different than everything else. It like, is. Like you said, the music, but the feel, how it's shot, everything is so it feels emotional for some reason. Yeah. You know, in a high and a low kind of sense is very interesting. John said that he basically put that in there because that's what he used to do. Oh, really? Was go to the museum and he he made sure to feature his favorite pieces of art. Oh, that's cool. And what also was interesting was when they screened the movie, originally they had the museum scene set after the parade. Okay. And people said that that was their least favorite part of the movie. Really? Yeah. And then John realized like the parade was so epic and yeah. so huge that it was really hard to even remember anything after that. Sure. So... They switched it to where the museum was beforehand, and I think they changed the music as well. Uh huh. And then it, people said it was their favorite scene. Yeah, it's my favorite scene. I'd say. Yeah. Overall, you know, my favorite sequence of the movie. Right. That's funny. Yeah. So it's all about placement, you know. Yeah, because it how does it all flows together. Build right that flow like builds towards the mm-hmm. parade. And speaking of the parade, that's yeah. number three for me. It's just so much fun. I love that it goes on for two songs. You know, it's not like some quick little scene. Like, they really stretch it out. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, they're not trying to rush anything. No. You know, just seeing all the extras, the people in the city. They have, like, a whole step crew come out there. And the dancers that are on the float with Ferris. Just how they all play off of each other. Yeah. It's just it's a like, really fun scene. It's like the beginning of a flash mob and part of it. You know, it's like yes. all of a sudden there's a dance crew yeah. breaking out in like this choreographed dance in the middle of a huge crowd. Like right. it's kind of fun. It is. It's a lot of fun. Plus, at least Twist and Child is a super fun song. It is, yeah. <laughs> so my favorite parts, I still find it funny when Sloan goes out to meet her quote unquote dad <laughs> and they <laughs> passionately kiss in front of uh, Vice Principal Rooney and his face is just like, what? He like stares at it for a second, then he's just like, "Huh." That still, it still makes me like, laugh. Nowadays, that dad would be arrested. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Immediately. I mean, as he should be if that's, right, if that's right. what's going on. But. but that that still cracks me up. Yeah. And then I love you know talking about the bedroom scene along the lines of you know Home Alone and all that. Mm-hmm. I do love Ferris's ingenuity with his whole setup in that bedroom. I know. You know that always was something that stuck with me because this wasn't a movie that I watched a lot. Yeah. I think it was more one that I'd see parts of throughout the It's so the funny, years. though, because I think in my mind, I thought that you loved it, probably just because it seems like it seems yeah. like you would be Ferris, to be honest. It was right up my alley. If I know. think about like what I would think that a senior in high school Pete would be, yeah. it would be similar to Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Ex- aside from getting up on the float in the parade and performing. Listen, I performed. Yeah, but you get shy, too. But I, I can guess perform maybe it was on like stage. Later on. I sang, I danced, acted. All right. All right. You're right. I Selling me short. Forget about your Jesus Christ superstar. Yeah. Now, like two weeks later, I had to do a senior speech and I was just like, duh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but in like a play sense, I was able to do that just fine. Well, then you could have been Ferris up there. That's right. So why is Ferris. this not your favorite movie? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was kept away from it deliberately. Right. To not give me any ideas. <laughs> Speaking of your, sorry to interrupt, no, but it's okay. you talking about the ingenuity of everything, you know, at the end of the movie, when he's like, finally makes it back in bed yeah. and then he realizes that the snoring is still going on 
and how he yeah. right before the parents walk in the room, he throws the baseball yeah, at yeah, the baseball. Right. <laughs> it's just so good. And then finally. So finally, I love that sequence where he's sprinting through the neighborhood, mm-hmm. going through people's houses and going through their backyards, <laughs> trying to beat. He's like, dinner's family. ready. Yeah. <laughs> that smells good. And of course, he, he runs into his sister and his mom, quite literally, like mm-hmm. she hits him with the car. His sister does. And then. And the, the parents just seem to miss him the yeah. whole time. They never spot him. Right. And he's right there at their faces. Yeah. He's literally sprinting right next to his dad's car. And his dad like glances over and. You can tell he, it's like, nah, that's not him. He's sick Ferris, in bed. Yeah, he's home sick in bed. So I, I like that whole thing. You know, he's running through somebody's yard and there's like two sunbathers who he sprints by. But then, of course, he <laughs> takes the time to come back yeah. and say hello real quick. But, uh, Hi, I'm Ferris. Yeah, and he I'm like Ferris. shakes their hand. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you. <laughs> I yeah. think, too, though, it's crazy that Jeannie never blows him up, even though she's pissed off the whole time that he gets away with everything. Yeah. But she never tells them that's because of that conversation i think she has with charlie sheen doesn't he tell right, her but before then even why wouldn't she have just been like i guess maybe she hadn't seen them until the police station so maybe that's yes. why yeah okay, she hadn't she didn't true. have proof until she went upstairs opened the door and up pops the mannequin yeah, in bed. Yeah. she's like i knew it right so, okay yeah. but then she's a good sister after that she doesn't actually blow him up yes but yeah those are my favorites from it so did you ever fake sick when you were a kid? Yeah, I would try to do it at regular intervals. <laughs> I would want my day off from school. Me too. <laughs> Sorry, mom. My mom was okay with it, though. Like, she would let it slide. She knew you were faking? I'm sure she had to have known. I didn't do anything as intricate as Ferris did. Well, there was one time that I do remember specifically, and I think I don't think I got this from Ferris Bueller. I think I got it from Full House. Because my my memory was refreshed when we binged it for our last episode. Okay. Where DJ is trying to fake six so she can go to the record store to meet Stacey Q. Yeah. <laughs> and she, I think it was that she put the thermometer up against like a lamp. Yeah. I think that's where I got that from because I remember doing that. And then you, it was too hot. So you had to like shake it down to get it to the right. Yeah. Temp. But wouldn't it like, didn't it move too quickly for that to work? You had to work at it. You had to do it a couple times. Oh. Yeah, I never did that. I think I only did that like once, but I do remember that. And I feel like maybe putting like hot water on my face. Like it was like this whole scheme trying to mm-hmm. pull that off. I might have done like a hot washcloth on my forehead to like heat it up. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Because we had like one of those plastic strips that you would oh, stick yeah, on your no, forehead. We had, we had the mercury thermometer like DJ had. Oh, okay. So that's, I think, where I learned how to do that. Because <laughs> you couldn't really fake. I mean, I guess you could fake it if you had the forehead thing. Yeah. But like with the digital thermometers, you can't fake that. No, you can't. I don't, I don't Ours, think. That, those things were so bobo. It would be like, it would color in like these squares as yeah. it went across your head. And yes. then it's like the last one would have to be like a certain like green color and green would mean. Yeah, you matched 98. <laughs> That's no green would probably be like a, over a hundred because oh, that would okay. actually be you know worrisome. I gotcha. But that's what we used when I taught for years before we got like the Ear the ones. forehead ones that would go oh. like where you rub it across the forehead. Yeah. But we would do the strips for the longest time, and I just didn't feel like they were that accurate. But yeah, I feel like they'd be all over the place. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But sorry, mom, because I know you're probably listening. I did it a couple times. My mom let us have some some days off. But I appreciate cool. you giving me the benefit of the doubt. That's all right. Your mom probably knew. She probably did know. She wanted to have you home but for the day. But she took care of me. Well, there were times, I mean, they both had to go to, once I got to a certain age, like they both had to go to work and I would oh. just be home. Yeah, my mom was home, so. And I mean, who didn't love, unless you were like super sick, but laying on your couch or you're in your bed with the prices right oh, yeah. on eating some soup, drinking some ginger ale, you got your Vicks. See, if I had all that stuff, I was legitimately sick. That's how I, f- I figure my mom knew. Because on days that I faked sick, I would watch the prices. Right, I got none of that <laughs> stuff. No ginger ale. I got nothing to make me feel better. I was just home from school that day. That's why to this day, like if I really need comfort, yeah. I want a grilled cheese sandwich and some soup because yeah. that was what I always got whenever I was sick. Which I mean, probably most people did. All right. So am I up? You are up. The Breakfast Club was in '85. So the year before Mm -hmm. Ferris, right? Also written, produced, and directed by John Hughes. 
It's about five high school students who are just all in different friend groups, basically, who are spending their Saturday in detention together. They've all done something that has caused them to be there. I have the question of, was Saturday detention a real thing? I feel like detention in my school was maybe after school, not Saturday. But I was never in detention, so I don't know. I was never in detention outside of my private school. I don't even know that I was in detention in my private. I had to have been. (laughs) But in public school, I know we had like in-school suspension. Yeah. I I was never in detention either in public school, so I don't know. I really feel like, at least in high school, that it was just after-school detention. So you just had to stay after for like an hour or something. It has to have been a thing, but... I never did anything like in the medium (laughs) sense of the word wrong in school. I only did something really wrong, (laughs) which we'll talk about later. So I I never saw what the middling state of punishment was. Uh, I can't wait till we hear the the difference between my story of being in trouble in school and yours. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the cast, there's Judd Nelson as John Bender. And he's the criminal. I'm giving these labels because we all know at the end of the movie. Yeah, that's specifically labeled in the movie. There's Molly Ringwald as Claire Standish. She's the princess. Emilio Estevez as Andrew Clark, the athlete. Doing air quotes as if you can see Got the air quotes. Yep. Every time. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony Michael Hall was Brian Johnson, the brain. Ali Sheedy was Allison Reynolds, the basket case. And then Paul Gleason was assistant principal Richard Vernon, another assistant principal, yeah. again, the disciplinarian. I didn't know he was assistant principal until we started doing the Yeah, radar. you just assume that they're the principal, yeah. but it makes sense. So as we all know, the five teenagers were members of a group of actors that were known as the Brat Pack. Was it just those five? or were No, there, there were more. There were, okay. Yes, there was. I was thinking that it would be interesting to do an episode at least part of it, about just the Brat Pack. Yeah. Because it's fascinating and there's a lot of intermingling. Right. (laughs) As there was through all of Hollywood at that time. But you also have Demi Moore, uh, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy. Oh, yeah. And then there were some people that weren't really considered Brat Pack, but were like on the outskirts of it, like Robert Downey Jr., John Cusack, John Cryer. Uh, There's lots of them. I may may have missed one of the core Brat Pack people. Sorry if so. Don't call me out. (laughs) All right. Some fun facts. Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall, who we know both starred in 16 Candles before this, were the first ones to be cast because John Hughes just asked them towards the end of filming 16 Candles if they would be in The Breakfast Club. That's how you know you've made it in Hollywood. Anthony Michael Hall's real mom and sister were the ones dropping him off. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I knew that somehow. So Molly was originally cast as Allison, the basket case, but supposedly was not happy about that. And she wanted to be Claire. I don't know if she pitched a fit, (laughs) but eventually it was enough that John eventually switched things around and hired Ali Sheedy to play Allison. And Emilio originally auditioned for the role of Bender, but then Hughes couldn't find anyone to play Andrew. So then he had Emilio do that because he already had some other people in mind for Bender. It was narrowed down to John Cusack, like I mentioned earlier, and Judd. So Cusack was actually cast. But then Hughes made a last minute decision because he felt like Cusack just wasn't threatening enough. Yeah, I can see that. He doesn't come off as menacing or threatening. Um, But how how do you not cast somebody like William Zabka as the athlete? Yeah. (laughs) Like he'd have been perfect for it. Well, but he may have been too, he may have not seemed like he had enough layers or something. Potentially. It's like typecast. I don't know. So you and I talked about this the other day, but Judd Nelson was staying in character. Yeah. And he was apparently harassing Molly when they weren't filming. And so Hughes was like, you know, I think he was very pretty protective of Molly. And so he was just like, I mean, maybe he would have done that for anybody, but he was going to fire him. But Paul Gleason, who played Vernon, had to convince Hughes not to fire him. Yeah, he said he was just, you know, method acting and being a good actor. Yeah. (laughs) harassing her (laughs) just be like yo bender get away from molly ringwald thanks (laughs) also interesting rick moranis was supposed to play the janitor but they had creative differences and i would love to know what that is yeah i do too i really would love to know that i know uh so the role went to john kapalos i think is maybe how you say it yeah but we've seen him. He, he had some other small roles in 16 Candles and Weird Science. But I looked up his IMDb and it is just full. Yeah, he's been in a lot of TV stuff. TV shows, movies. Yeah. 
tons of stuff, obviously doing well or did well. I don't know if he's still working. Did you know, so the stories that they all recount of how they got into detention are all ad-libbed. Like really? John Hughes didn't script those. He just told them to make up their own stories for why they were there. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. I'm not saying they weren't rehearsed, but they weren't scripted. But they made them up. Yeah, they did. No, oh, I didn't know that. Same thing uh, as far as the iconic scene at the very end of the movie. Uh, Judd Nelson improvised that part. So they were all just sitting around trying to figure out different things to do at the very end there. And they actually had just gotten done with it. And as Judd Nelson was walking towards all of them, he did the fist pump and they they happened to be filming. <gasps> that just gave me chills, actually. Because yeah. <laughs> that's so... I think most people, at least of a certain age, you, you know just that. see that. You just you could see a silhouette of that and you know what it is. Right. Wow. Moments of genius. Yep. I've seen this movie a lot, but watching it with you, you pointed out something that I never even thought about, which was, you know, you get the idea of what the kids' relationships were like with their parents just with the small scene of each kid arriving at school for detention. Yeah. Because you have the one that coddles, the one that's strict and disappointed. You have one that is just purely sports focused. It's all about that one thing, the one that ignores you, and then the one that's not there at all. Right. So it was interesting looking at the movie like that because it you see how it plays out in each of those kids' personalities. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was interesting. I don't normally have insights like that <laughs> about movies, but I was like, very wow, deep, these, very these all kind of line up. Because really the movie just focuses on that pressure that teenagers feel. Yeah. As they're wading through the waters of like the high school constructs while also dealing with their parents, their teachers, and other authority figures like a whole vice principals. Yeah, and it was <laughs> it was crazy for them to all see how much they had in common with each other, even though they're all different aspects of the same problems. Right. As the day goes on, they all start opening up with each other and bonding about that pressure that they feel at home and at school. And of course, we're constantly reminded of that as Vernon keeps reentering and doing awful things to them or just being a jerk, you know, putting more pressure on them and attempting to make things just worse for them. Yeah. Rattle their cages. Rattle their cages. Yeah. (laughs) It's always fun. But, you know, it's also just like the world. We're all different. And some people just think that you can't find common ground because you're so So divided. Yeah. And just like this, there are certain things that we all feel and we all go through and that we all want. Yeah, it's and all I a common that, human struggle underneath it all. I just wish that I wish that the whole world could be the Breakfast Club. Yeah, well, it is right now. It's just the part in the beginning of the movie where they all hate each other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't hate anyone, but well, you know what I mean. People are disagreeing a lot yes, with each other. They are all love here. All love. Okay, so your go. Give me your favorite moments. First off, I love. That part where Bender is on his hands and knees crawling through the ceiling. Yeah. And there's, I I like the music that's playing Uh underneath it. And he's like telling this joke that in the end doesn't have a punchline or maybe it's just not funny. I don't know. But then he he falls through the ceiling. Uh, But I just love it's so different because it's like shot from the side and it's a little claustrophobic and it's a very memorable scene for me. I really like it. Yeah. And then I also get a kick out of when Sporto, Andrew Clark, uh, Emilio Estevez, is getting all of that stuff <laughs> out of his lunch bag. Everybody's just watching him. He's got like three sandwiches. He's got full bags of cookies and potato chips, a half gallon of milk, and a, and a banana and an apple because you got to be healthy. But <laughs> I'm wondering, is that what athletes would eat in the 80s or now like athletes i think in general have a better diet than that but maybe he's well, burning with wrestling si- isn't that isn't it a little different with wrestling where you've got to make weight or whatever yeah but you wouldn't be eating a bag of cookies and chips but maybe he was in a bulk <laughs> phase I don't, I don't really know but it always cracks me up as it's cultivating just, mass he's yeah, cultivating <laughs> mass <laughs> but I, I i love that part and then the scene between Bender and the assistant principal when he locks him in that like broom closet. So intense. Yeah, it's super intense. And like I think it's so well acted. And I was actually just reading about the fact that the fake punch by the assistant principal was ad-libbed. And Judd Nelson flinched legitimately because he thought he was going to punch him. Yeah. So maybe that's why the acting is so good in it because mm. part of it is legitimate. But right. that scene to me is just crazy because you get like this glimpse into what Bender 
goes through at home and he like shrinks into himself yeah. and it's it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. So that to me is a, a really good scene. Where he looks like a little boy. He does, yeah. He definitely reverts. Mm-hmm. What about you? What do you got? In true Stacy fashion, the relationships. <laughs> <laughs> I just love watching them evolve from the beginning of the movie because you you would think that it would be the princess and the athlete because like they're sitting at the same table yeah. and like Bender makes a few comments that makes you think that maybe in the past like they had some kind of hookup Fling, or something. Yeah. But what actually blooms over the length of the movie is that Claire and Bender become, you know, attracted to each other. And then Andrew and Allison, who we don't think is going to even say two words because she's just such an oddball at the beginning and just closed in on herself. But they open up to each other and... I love how Claire gives her the the makeover. Yeah, she comes end. out. Yeah. Even though that kind of bothers me too, because I, I liked that he liked her before she changed the way she looked, you know? He just liked that he could see her face. He liked being able to see her more than right. having her. But she her, looked her like cover. someone, you know, it looked like taking like a goth girl and turning her into, you yeah. know, a preppy girl. It, it probably girl is a little and- problematic from a, you know, she's like, oh, well, like, if you oh, put makeup she's on, beautiful. Yeah, now, now I like you. Right. So I kind of wish that she had stayed the way she was, but just maybe started talking like a person that could form a sentence, yeah. you know, but instead of just making noises. <laughs> right. And I love the montage of them dancing after they all get high. Yeah. It's just so fun, even though, you know, they show like it's like the little sections of like the guys all dancing together and then the girls dancing together and just and then everybody doing their individual stuff. What I think is funny is that as a kid, I had no idea that they were getting high. I thought they were just smoking cigarettes. (laughs) Like I it never crossed my mind. So then watching it again as an adult, I'm like, oh, (laughs) that that makes sense now. It all makes sense. Hughes said his only regret was that he had the glass shatter. Yeah. When um, Emilio. Emilio Estevez screams in the uh-huh. in that uh, library room. It's like some kind of side room yeah. or something, but I think it's funny. Why does he regret it? He thinks it's stupid. Yeah, I think he thought it was stupid or something, oh. but I like eh, it. It's just part of it. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about all of that is the same thing that I don't like about Weird Science, which yeah. is just the voice that Anthony Michael Hall goes into when he's high or drunk. It's so annoying. It just feels racist and I yeah. just don't like it. Right. And I forgot that he did it because that was part of the reason. I mean, there were a lot of other reasons why we decided to just leave Weird Science where it is, even though it will always have a special place in my heart. There were just too many things in it that just you have like fond memories of it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't recall that part where I feel like there are things, you know, words that are said and things that are done in the other John Hughes movies that are cringy, but it's not as much. Yeah, this one I, is only has like one that I can recall. Yeah. Other, other than that, yeah. it only has like one instance where you're just like, ooh. Right. But when I heard him do it again, I was just like, ugh, why did he always do that? Yeah, it was annoying. I didn't like it. But anyway, and then I just love the reading of the essay at the end and, and you hear all of their voices, you know, that they came together and wrote it together. Yeah. Basically saying, you're trying to put us into this one category, but we're all actually all of these things. Right. And it's just, it's just such a great ending to the movie. It is. Like, and then it's, you it's get a perfect the fist, summary. The fist in the yeah, air. <laughs> then you get that. And you get, don't you forget about me playing in the background. Yes. Oh, that's movie gold. It is movie gold. So we mentioned it before, but now you need to tell us the story. Oh, my! when I got in school suspension? Maybe I should tell mine first yeah, because you tell yours. it's pretty mild. So in the second grade, <gasps> Whoa. Uh, someone in my class had pages of stick-on earrings. Okay? That was the thing for if you didn't have your ears pierced. They're just little stickers that look like little jewels. Yeah. And you put them on your ears. This was in probably 87 or 88, I guess. Probably 87. And I don't know what to, what came over me, but I wanted one of those pages of stickers of the earrings. Yeah. She had several. Okay. I know it doesn't make it right. <laughs> and I was a little girl that never really got in trouble, but I stole one of those. You stole it? of those pages of stickers. Oh. I think I put it in my backpack or something or yeah. in a folder. And I don't know if the little girl told on me or if 
my teacher saw me, Ms. Faulkneroy, but I remember that she took me out. I don't know if maybe, maybe the girl realized that it was stolen and Ms. Faulkneroy asked the whole class and I, maybe I finally confessed to it. Yeah. But my mom worked at the school, right, as a secretary and my teacher took me out into the hallway and she had her paddle. She had her paddle out? Yes. Oh, wow. And I was about to pee in my pants. Like I had never been in trouble and I thought I was about to get it. And then my mom walked by and I remember, I remember specifically looking up and seeing her like kind of look at me out of the corner of her eye and then put her head down and just kept walking. (laughs) You're on your own, little Stacy. (laughs) Like, we'll talk about this later. Um, But I ended up not getting a paddling. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that they probably thought it was kind of funny because it wasn't like I had done something awful and I obviously felt bad about it. I'm pretty sure I was crying. You'd learned your lesson. And they just had the paddle to freak me out enough to never do anything like that again. Yeah. And let me tell you, scary a little bit. I never did anything like that again. <laughs> but I do I do think my dad spanked me when I got home. Really? Just one spank, you know. With I got hand. spanked all the time, so I can't remember. I remember very specific spanks because I didn't get them very much. I only remember one because I tried to be funny about it. Well, not really funny. Mm. I took like, you remember those like golden books or whatever they are? They, yes. they were like hard, kind of hardcover kid books. Yeah. With the gold put, spine. Yeah. I put one of those down my pants. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got found out quickly though. That's funny. So yeah, that's my level of getting in trouble at school. Uh, That brings to mind something that happened to me as a child. It was show and tell in first grade. Yeah. And I had a keychain revolver that I just loved. It was like two inches long. And so I brought that in for show and tell. And then I put it back in my bag in my cubby hole. And then at at lunchtime, I went to go look at it and it was gone. (gasps) And I remember there was, I can't remember this kid's name. Isn't that so cute that you just wanted to go look at it? I just wanted to go look at it. Oh, that's so precious. But I'd seen this. There was this bully kid in my class, Mm. twice my size, and he was a jerk. (laughs) I saw him over near my bag earlier, so I went and told on him. And I think eventually he copped to it, that he had taken it. But then at the actual lunch break, Mm -hmm. we were sitting next to each other at, at lunch, and he tries to steal my chocolate milk. And so, so I punched him in the nose and gave him a bloody nose. Because <laughs> the only reason I remember it is because they, they took us both then and had us stand in the middle of the cafeteria, like back to back, for the rest of the lunch break. Oh wow! That was the punishment for that. <laughs> it's like those. I see pictures now where like get along shirts or something where they're like kind of bigger shirts and parents will make the siblings like both be inside the shirt. (laughs) So they have to be near each other until they're ready to get along. Yeah. Now I did get in big trouble once at school where, you know, I didn't get detention. I got in school suspension and I actually wasn't able to go to my prom. I was a member of the National Honor Society. I got booted out of that. Uh, It was at lunchtime again and our trays and silverware and stuff like that were constantly filthy, Mm -hmm. like big chunks of food on there. It was really gross. And so we'd been talking to the cafeteria people about it for a little while. And eventually this was actually when I I wasn't living at home. So I was very rebellious at this time. Eventually I I had enough. And so I I led a revolt (laughs) at our lunch break where I was like, let's everybody Take all your trays and all your silverware. We're going to stack them up on one table in the middle of the cafeteria. <laughs> and everybody did. There was like a hundred of us in there. So there's this what mountain a leader of, you are. <laughs> of trays and silverware and stuff. So then the principal comes in and he's like, everybody that put one there, get that right now and put it over in the thing. And everybody went and did it. Except for except you. Except for me. I was like, no, I'm not doing it. Not till they start cleaning the stuff that we're eating off of. And he's like, you better do it right now or you're, you're going to regret it. <laughs> I refused to. He's like, all right, go down to the office. So I had to go to the office and go into his office and wait for him. And so he was yelling at me in there and stuff like that. Supposed to be a a leader and an example for other students in the school as a senior, yada, yada, yada. And I got in school suspension. But I still never apologize or back down. And this is why, ladies and gentlemen, I always keep our plates and silverware (laughs) sparkling. Spotless. (laughs) You don't want to have a revolt happen on the bistro table. I don't want to walk out 
and see a big pile. But I did. I mean, I, I my only real regret was missing my prom. So I, I, yeah, I didn't get that to, sucks. I went to all the parties afterward, but uh. I didn't get the actual thing. <laughs> all right. So that wraps us up for Breakfast Club. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go on to the toys. You got some toys for this week. Mine was a Christmas present this year. This was something that I just kind of mentioned in passing. Yep. Something that I always wanted and I never got. A couple of my friends had it and I was so jealous. It was from 1981. It's the Donkey Kong mini arcade. And she'll probably put a picture of it up on our Instagram. Yes. But let me, I wonder if it'll make the noises that we want. See if anybody recognizes it. If I hit start, we'll let it play. <laughs> so good. And so, you, you know, you play your your strange version of Donkey Kong, which is, you know, not like the actual version of Donkey Kong, but it is actually a lot of, it's hard and it's a lot of fun. And boy, when I opened it, did it kick some feelings back? Like I could see myself in the catalog just being like, oh man, I want this so bad for like years. I, I found a thing. picture of it in the catalog the other day from oh, 81. Did you really? Yes. Oh, nice. Yeah, we were watching Gremlins because we covered it in a previous episode. And I think, is it Gizmo that's playing? Or later on, it's like all of the Mogwai are playing this. Oh, they're playing that? Yeah, because that's (laughs) when you told me. Okay. Because you were like, oh, the Donkey Kong game. I always wanted one, but I never got it. And so the light bulb went off in my head. And the next day I... When found it. Yeah. And went it, on a search. Fully working. I was worried it wasn't going to work. Yeah. And I was a dummy and forgot to get batteries. So we had to wait several days to find yeah, out if it actually to, did. Yeah, we had to put an Amazon order in for, I think it takes C batteries, but it's yeah. awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. What do you got? Okay. So this is one of the Barbies that I've gotten that I had as a kid. I really think maybe that this Barbie was my sister's, but yeah. I played with it. Okay. Because I looked at the date... And it came out in 82. Uh, so I would have been three at that point. Pretty early. Yeah. I mean, um, three-year-olds play with Barbies, don't they? Yes, but I remember playing with it, you know, later on. Okay. I don't know. Not that that means I didn't play with it when I was three. It was probably your sister's. I just feel like it would have been because she was like 10. Yeah, that would have been perfect age for it. Yeah. But dream date Barbie. All right. She's everybody's dream date is what it says across the top. She's wearing like a burgundy and purple evening gown uh, with sequins on the top. It's like a halter dress. And then she has this, it's like, sorry, I forget what they would call it. I wonder if they have it here. She has like this wrap that'll go around her shoulders. Or a you shawl? Can, well, it's not, it can be a shawl. You can wear it a bunch of different ways. See, like look on the side, you can, it's, she, you oh, can attach it to like her skirt. You can do anything with it. Yeah, I wonder what that's called. It doesn't really say. I think it just says shoulder wrap here or a wrap. But you can attach it, you know, wear the dress a bunch of different ways. And she comes with jewelry, a comb and a brush, a mirror, a perfume bottle. She's gorgeous. She is gorgeous. Look and I got her, dress. you know, new, new in the box. So she's in perfect condition. And there was a dream date, Ken, and he's wearing a tuxedo. And, he, you know, he's got like the matching cummerbund, of oh, course. It, he's, it matches her? Yeah. Oh, nice. And then there's dream date, PJ who's Barbie doll's cousin. And she is a little more dirty blonde, light brunette. She's wearing a blue dress that is similar to, it's actually like the same dress as Barbie's, but it's blue. And I had her too. Oh, she, so she's got the shoulder thing too. Yes, that she can wear a bunch of different Multifaceted yeah. shoulder thingy. I want to get her as well. It's in good condition as well. It's a really good yeah, box. Yeah, she's great. Nice. She's beautiful. Beautiful. I love her. I'm very happy to have her. Welcome to the Tuttle household. (laughs) Dream date Barbie. Does that wrap us up for this week? That'll do it. All right. We're done. We hope you enjoyed our John Hughes recaps. (laughs) Our John Hughes-a-thon. Stay tuned for more. Thank you for listening. Come find us on Instagram at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod. Take the polls. Send us any photos from your childhood if you want us to share. We've had a lot of people sending stuff in and it's been really fun to share that and see everybody interacting yeah, about that. Yeah, it is that. a lot of fun. You can come join our Facebook group at We Don't Want to Grow Up! Exclamation point, or you can email us at We Don't Want to Grow Up! Pod at gmail.com. Right. .com! .com! Is that it? That's it. Did I do it? You did it. All right. We'll see you guys next time. See you, everybody. You're still here? It's over. Go home.
Go.